want to stand on the shoulders of Google, uh, Microsoft, Azure, and Amazon. And you might be able to destroy some physical artifacts. You might be able to do that for a period of time, but you can't take down what these tech giants have done. And through whatever SEO and search, you know, search engine optimization and whatnot, I can create a platform that will outshine, create a rose in, in the desert to help rebuild. everyone, it's Adessa back again with episode 76 of the Assyrian Podcast. February of this year, I had a chance to sit with the Benjamin brothers, Paul and Sergun. You ever meet people and are like, they are just wired differently, but in a good way. That's exactly what I think about today's guests. Paul and Sergun are the founders of Base2 Applications, a startup that created mobile applications. They would participate in hackathons and their ideas would win, including winning the People's Choice Awards and $25,000 from Verizon. Also, winning a CTIA mobile challenge and having their announcement shown on a big screen in the middle of Times Square in New York with their photo and other wins that led to partnerships with companies like Google, AT&T, T-Mobile, and more. Living in the heart of Silicon Valley, they fully immerse themselves as leaders in the tech world and are just killing it. They've opened the door of opportunity for other Assyrians to work with them and love that they've taken their talents and invested them back into the community over the years with the Assyrian app marketplace and Sargon's initiatives of sargonsays.com, which is an English to Assyrian dictionary and qodbi.com, which is like a Yelp for Assyrian locations. As if that's not enough to tire one out, we also discuss how exercise is their way of releasing stress, and boy do they love a good challenge. Paul discusses his passion in competing in triathlons and Sargon with Spartan races. Like, these guys do not mess around. Lastly, you'll be in for a surprise treat at the end with a musical performance by one of the brothers. I won't tell you who, but you will be amazed. Ooh, one more thing. The Assyrian Podcast will be at this year's Assyrian Convention hosted by the Assyrian American National Federation in Palm Springs, California. We'll be presenting a workshop on Saturday and would love to see you there. We'll also have some Assyrian Podcast swag with us, so be sure to ask us about it. Support for this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Caligarakis and the injury lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Caligarakis. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at injuryrights.com or 847-982-9516. Now, here are Paul and Sarban. All right, so Paul and Sargon. You were born in Santa Clara, but moved to Sacramento. Yep. At what age? So we moved to Sacramento just just before the, the Gulf War. So okay. just before 1990. So Paul was born in 86. 86. He would have been four years old. I would have been almost seven. Uh, we moved to a town called Orangeville. It's a very kind of like rural town. Like we grew up picking fruit during the summers and whatnot. Okay. Yeah. And so what, what brought the move to Sacramento from Santa Clara? Our dad was in real estate, so he kind of got some leads and moved the whole family out there. Nice. And Orangeville, how far out is that from Sacramento? 20, 25 minutes east of Sacramento on the way to, let's say, like Folsom or Roseville. 
And for the listeners that are maybe unfamiliar with Sacramento, uh, Sacramento is the state capital of California, and it's in Northern California. Well, and we have the best basketball team, yeah, the Kings. <laughs> they came up in the Vlade Divac, Chris Weber era. I know that there is a small but vibrant Assyrian community there. Was there when you all moved? Honestly, like it, there was. We though weren't as involved in the in the community, so it was very small to begin with, and then we were just kind of on our own. I mean, you gotta you gotta think Orangeville is a, a small little town, you know. We're on kind of farmland basically. If we ever wanted to go hang out with the Syrians, either we'd go to San Jose or Modesto, Toronto. which aren't too far away anyway. Which aren't, but we wouldn't really make out those make those trips out. You know, we we become some sort of whitewashed Assyrians to some extent. What but, does that mean to you? Uh, I mean, we're, we're American and Assyrian, right? So when someone says, you know, what are you? Essentially, we're both. But over time, kind of, we, we reconnected back with the community. Uh, to preface kind of what Paul said is both of our parents worked, yeah. right? And so the, the whole real estate thing for my dad actually after the Gulf War it didn't pan out the way we wanted it to. So we had some rough times. So growing up, both our parents worked full time and overtime. And so like Paul's saying, we kind of... Uh, we kind of lost touch with even the language mm. and uh, it's been nice as adults to reconnect back to it and, and incorporate that into the thing that we do on a daily basis but i think now the Assyrian community in sacramento is very vibrant and I, I think part of that is owed to the kind of the gentrification actually of the bay area i think a lot of people are moving out uh or those who want to come to california rather than like picking san jose which is you know you pay a million dollars for a little box they're going to just a little east of there towards Sacramento. There's still industry. So I think now the community there is actually pretty vibrant. So yeah, it's nice to see that Assyrian community doing well there. What was the population like in Orangeville? Put in context. It's a small 10, town. Yeah, So what was your like graduating high school? How many people? So our, our high school was quite interesting. We went to an a all-male Catholic school. Going to Jesuit high school was like one oh, of the okay, best nice. things. It, it was there, I'd say they asked us a lot about our culture. Like the, the Jesuit priests were very curious about our culture. And like, you know, when they asked us, oh, where are your grandparents from? I didn't know the answer back then, mm-hmm. you know? And then I came to San Jose and everyone said, oh, we're whatever, Shaputnaya, we're Benejavilan. And these, these were terms I wanted to know, but I didn't, it didn't resonate with me. And so then... I think that rekindled an interest to, to kind of learn more about our roots, you know, and so to find out, hey, where is my grandmother from my father from? Where, how did she get married to my grandfather, right? And and I think it's it's nice to know where you where you came from and where you are now, and maybe what makes you or shapes you the way you are, and and kind of whose shoulders you can stand on when when you're faced with adversity or whatever it is that life brings at you. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember kind of. You remember Father Olson? Yeah. Yeah. So, so he, I uh, was taking one of his classes, and he had me go in front of the class and say the prayer in Assyrian. Yeah. But even then, even when we say the prayer, when we it's grow always up, changing. it would always <laughs> not be the most confident prayer. But they didn't even know. Who so knows? They didn't, they didn't care. <laughs> That's really awesome. I think it's so cool when people have a genuine curiosity of who you are, and you were in a place that there weren't other Assyrians. Did you ever at any point feel? embarrassed to talk about who you were because you're like oh what are the chances anyone's going to know and it's no I'm, I'm usually pretty prideful you know if someone says oh you are you persian or you know are you middle eastern are you arab and it's like no i'm a syrian oh yeah i know syria like, oh, yeah, that's syrians. the country syrians yeah. Yeah. yeah and i'm like no 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 it when must be a, so hard for you right now 
So, so then I go through the full history lesson. Yeah. And then I even had this one time where someone was like, oh, I thought Assyrians don't exist anymore. And I'm like, I'm standing right here. Yeah. Like, do you not see me? And so I had to go through kind of that whole thing with them. And it was kind of, it was funny to have that type of conversation. Yeah. Um, Sometimes if you didn't want to talk, you didn't want to have a full on, it's a, it's a five minute conversation. But I just download the app. Yeah. <laughs> we owe it to people. But what's interesting is you, you, you see your parents do it all the time. So our father would always be telling people. And then, you know, as a kid, you would think, oh, here we go again. But then when you grow up, you, you realize, you know, that it's a, it's a very unique, unique culture. And how important it is to tell people, right? That's like the educational opportunity right there. They just generally don't know. And I feel like what works is if there's a way you can connect it back. Like if it can resonate with the person. Like obviously no one wants to be it shut down their throat. Hey, yeah. I'm this, I'm yeah, this, yeah. I'm this. They just want to connect with somebody. And yeah. so if they feel like you're open to hearing their story, sometimes it gives you a little space to tell yours. And then if you can get it to turn full circle like our dad would say Assyrians invented the number zero <laughs> so we'll say hey do you like baklava okay well yeah okay you know, well, that's kinda... actually kind of interesting because people do say like like there's some of the people that once they find out you're Assyrian they're like oh I know an Assyrian and the, the best moments is when you're in a group and you have a non-Assyrian be your warrior like if someone says oh What's in Assyrian? And then you're about to start speaking and then some non-Assyrian will be like, oh, they invented this. They come from the land between the Tigris and Euphrates River. You know, I'm like a total white person saying this. And that, those are nice moments. So was it college time college. that you decided to get out? Paul, you went to UCLA. Went to UCLA, got a math degree there. Yeah. And you went to Santa Clara? I went to Santa Clara University. University. Yeah, and they had a, uh, they had a, four-year undergrad program, but then you could tackle on an extra year and do your grad degree. So okay. I did computer science and then software engineering. Sargon okay. built his own computers when he was a kid. Like, he, he, he'd literally put them together. These, you remember the old 486 that you put together? And we, we, did, we used to have 286, uh, legacy Pentium. Um, and then there was this guy, remember Rice? What was his name? So John Rice? there were some experiences as a child that kind of shaped and influenced uh, my decision to choose tech. So okay. I knew early on I was going to go into tech. Here's a PG story. So he created a LAN network at the house where we could play against each other. I think it was in Command and Conquer. So we had two computers connected on the same network in the house where we could play against each other uh, in the game. So people, we weren't allowed to like go into the other room to go see what the other person was doing because it was like a strategy game. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, how challenging is that to do? The, the most challenging thing, like I'd say was the first thing that happened. So our dad was a real estate agent mm -hmm. and he had this program called MLS, like multiple listing service. And mm -hmm. we had a dial up mode on that. Mm -hmm. He would get the listings. I was looking through the Packard Bell manual of the computer and it said to speed up the computer, run this format command. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, let's try this out. So I'm tinkering away, I type format. Restart the computer and nothing loads. It's just like the BIOS screen. And uh, I even wiped out the recovery disk. Okay, so my dad's computer is hosed. Okay, and he had always told us, don't, don't mess with this, you know. And so he was very serious about that. He was pretty strict. So like Paul said, though, we had a neighbor like three doors down. His name was uh, Carl. He was a Vietnam War vet. And he even married a Vietnamese lady, I think he, he found over there. And so I, he was good with computers. I knocked on his door. It's the evening. And he goes, hey, what's up? And I said, you know, I need your Windows 3.1 uh, 
uh, floppy disks, which I never understood because they were actually hard disks, but they call them floppy disks. So I said, I need the disks. And uh, I wiped out my computer accidentally. And he, he shook his head and he said, no. And I remember his cheeks even shook when he said <laughs> no. He was a little heavier set. And then I, I told him, I said, he said, you know, because you need the serial number. And this is my serial codes that I paid for. Otherwise, it'd be piracy. And I said, no, 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 no. That's fine. I have a serial number, too. At least I thought I did. And uh, But I wiped away the backup recovery thing. So I just need to reformat, reinstall my dad's Were you computer. panicking at this point? I kind of knew it would work out okay. somehow. But okay. yes, I was afraid for the belt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then, then I, uh, he lets me in his house. And I remember his house had this like stench to it. It didn't smell bad. It just smelled like an older person. Mm-hmm. And I remember that always kind of stuck with me. He gave me the 15 discs that I needed. And it was like, at the, you know, those, those floppy disks that you put on the computer. And that night I spent, that was my first all-nighter as a kid. That was my very first all-nighter. Spent all night redoing the computer, put my dad's MLS on there, and just kind of learn. And, you know, there was no Google or anything like that. Yeah. And then the next morning my dad was just on his computer. I could hear the dial-up modem. His MLS <laughs> was there. And he never said a peep. He never found out. And it was, I think I kind of had one of those silent kind of moments. I said, I, I think I could be good at this. And this was kind of fun. And I like being in the shadows. And he never found out. And uh, so that was one, one thing that kind of led me down the path of tech. Hey, this is fun. And it's, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. You had a natural talent for it. Well, I think there's all kinds of artists. So a lot of people call computer scientists or software engineers engineers. And yeah, they yeah. can be. But... There is there's an art to it. There's a dance to it. There's a there's a, a music to it, right? There are patterns. There are ways. There are designs to it. So I mean, Paul knows this as well. So I I view it as an it's really an art, you know. And uh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I've never heard that before, but I can totally understand where you're coming from. And Paul, you said that you graduated with a mathematics degree. Yeah. So at that point, did you know that you wanted to enter tech, I, or what? What were what was sort of going on in Actually, your mind? So my my trip from the move from Los Angeles to San Jose is an interesting one. Kind of trying to figure out what I want to do. And so usually that fall before you graduate, you go through the interview cycle. And so as a math major, I wanted to do actuarial work. Actuarial work, I don't know if you guys ever watched Along Came Polly. So Ben Stiller. Scuba, scuba. Yeah, yeah. Ben, ben Stiller is an actuary, and he basically plugs some mathematical model to understand the risks, life expectancy risks of certain people, whether or not they get insured or not. So I was along that path of becoming an actuary. How did you even decide that you wanted to go into mathematics? I just liked numbers. I was always okay. good at math. Nice. I mean, that was just kind of my, my interest. You know, I, I, the, you had a knack for it. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. I mean, more so than reading. Okay. Whenever I had to read a book, I always read the Cliff Notes. Nice. Even though I could read and understand, I just I had no patience for it. That's changed now. I actually read a lot now. But, I mean, that's that's how I came about to finding math and then understanding that at first I was going down the statistics route. And then I found the actuarial science part of it, and I thought that was really interesting. At the end of it all, during the interview process, I interviewed for actuarial jobs, and then I also interviewed also for finance-related jobs. The, one of the interview opportunities I got was with Cisco as a finance manager. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. And so 
I kind of, they accepted me. They usually, they do on-campus recruiting. So they go on campus, they do the interviews there. And if they like you, they'll fly you up to San Jose, do another round of interviews and let you know whether or not you got the job. So I go there and the day before they're having like this little get together just to get to know your interviewees. Mm -hmm. And talking to some of these folks and get a good vibe for them. And I, I meet this one lady and so the next day, I come in for the interview, and I interview with one person, and I interview with her. And she has me talking about, you know, Cisco, what I've done at UCLA as a math guy. And then on the resume, I had something about being a Syrian. Like, you know, I was part of the Syrian club over there where we put on some events. And she's like, tell me a little bit about, you know, this Assyrian club. What, what, what did you do? And so I go into my little spiel. In the middle of it, she's like, Paul? I was like, yeah. She's like, Anasuretan. And I'm like, oh my God god are you serious like i'm like you made me go through all of this you might as well just said at the beginning and then i would have known it's a done deal and then so she kind of you know coached me along the interview process and then i ended up accepting the job at cisco that's amazing um so ever since that act of kindness anything i do now if i see an assyrian on a resume it gets their foot in the door it doesn't get them the job but it gets their foot in the door to see whether or not they're fully qualified and if they are then i usually bring them on um every time i see her i remind her of it and i think she's tired of it um (laughs) but i'll never forget it the thing for you is i think for that to be a long-term model to work i think you're not necessarily thinking that you're doing anybody a favor when you say pay it forward you're really paying yourself as well oh yeah so i think there there has to for that model to work long term there has to be some incentive uh, outside of just the aspirational, hey, we're a Syrian, we're in this together, which is probably the most important thing, but there also has to be an incentive for Paul to do to take that action. Otherwise, there's going to be a feeling of, oh, the gratitude isn't being reflected back. So he's doing it because he needs highly qualified people working for him, right? And he has a vested interest. He has an incentive to hire highly qualified people where he's a leader at. And so it if has they happen to be a Syrian, then so totally. be it. So the thing is, I think the key is, uh, you can think about paying it forward, but I think you're really also paying it forward to yourself. Yeah, because yeah. it they it's are mutually beneficial. Exactly. Absolutely. I mean, I view I view the community as a fraternity. So party, bro. <laughs> I was in a fraternity. And I did a lot of that, but like it, this is in a different sense. It's not just a guy thing. It's, yeah, you yeah. know, It's women as well. Um, you have an instant connection and a bond and uh, understanding of one another and so that to me is important because you know if you brought in the right person you can trust them and so the ones that i have brought on sarvan said yeah i'm gaining out of it i totally am because they're they're making my life a lot easier at the same time i'm entrusting them and empowering them to be able to do some pretty awesome stuff and it's it's actual career work it's not you know little jobs here or there this is actual you know they can start a family with the stuff that they're doing with how many times would you say that you've done that where you've like employed or helped to employ somebody who right was now, a Syrian? Right now, too, that are working with me right now. But from a from a career perspective, I mean, these guys moved up. You know, they've they've moved their lives, changed things for them, and actually they've they've actually found the Assyrian community too. One of them's dating an Assyrian girl that's based out of the area. Wow. So that to me is kind of a cultivating of the culture without actually saying anything about Assyrian or you know, forcing, you know, the language on them or doing any of that type of stuff. Yeah. It's kind of... It's yeah. done through 
economics and competence. Absolutely. Right? They're, yeah. they're competent, which is how our society is built on competence. It's not built on power or not. Bridges are built by competence, right? And so it's built, like Paul saying, by competence and by the economics of it. And it has to be self-driving. And so even at, you know, when we had our startup, we, we had, I think, four four Assyrians that, there might have been five. Oh, yeah. We, we got someone a sales job. Uh, there were someone who transitioned from being non-technical into doing quality assurance. Now they're an engineer. Wow. We had another guy who helped with the Assyrian app. Who, I mean, they, they put that on their resume. And, and so these are young guys, yeah. too. Like, some of and them. And girls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And how, like, how, how did you pay them? Like, where did that money come from to be able to employ these people into their jobs and so some we paid and others we we set the expectation hey this is they they were genuinely interested in the work that we were doing and they saw that we needed help right we're trying to create a tech space for a a micro niche community yeah. right it's it's fine to develop something for a niche because you have an audience and you have a, a market for it our niche is a micro niche right so if you can get 20,000 people to download an app, but I mean, no one will pay for an app. And, you know, and so it's, they understood that this was mutually beneficial in regards to, hey, they need some resume experience. They need some skills. No one will hire them because they don't have those skills yet. So that's, that's how it worked out. That's amazing. And we, we had little Easter eggs in our apps. So like we have one app called Ishtar Games, which is a, a kid's game that has like about animals. And then you're a penguin that's jumping. And we made what, it's an edutainment app. Kids don't know that they're learning Surat, but they are. And we even contracted our cousin to do the music in the app. But so that app has an Easter egg in the high score page. We what does that mean, an Easter egg? It's it kind of a special like, thing that you can discover. Oh, okay. like Kind of like the okay. Tesla car has some hidden features. That, yeah, 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 yeah. So we put in some Easter eggs in our app that would actually thank the people who worked with us. Oh, so little cool. tokens like that. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. We created a lot of services for Assyrians. Like, there was the Assyrian app, right, which had events, uh, little social networks, social network, it even had, like, you know, there was the old blogging or kind of those forum sections. Sargon created the section where people could actually message each other from the app. Did you uh, find that people were using that a lot? People were using it, yeah. People were definitely using it. Nice. So to go back a little bit, um, to conclude your college experience, you were in Santa Clara already, so you stayed within the Bay Area, Silicon Valley in particular. Paul, you finished up with UCLA, got a job at Cisco, yeah. and made your way into Silicon Valley. Both of you as brothers ended up staying here. You you were at Cisco. What did you end up doing once you... You went straight into a master's program when, would, at Santa Clara? Yes. And coming back to the Bay Area was, was really interesting for me because I learned just how... I, I love our culture, right? And I loved everything about it growing up. Coming back to the Bay Area was a wake-up call because the friends I developed, they would poke fun at me in a nice way, but I could tell it was hitting home. And I would say words in Assyrian, and then they would say, oh, you say that word that way? That's so cute. Mm. You know, yeah. because my I wasn't confident in the way that I, I spoke the language at the time. So our parents, I think, did a good job of raising us, made sure we went to the right schools. It's just as, as the four brothers we we kind of lost touch with the language. So coming back to the Bay Area was was, an, was a good wake-up call. Now, within the household, was it a type of situation where your parents 
spoke to an Assyrian and you answered back in English or were they also at that time speaking to you in English and you were replying back they in They spoke to us in Assyrian and we replied back in Nintendo and PlayStation. So, <laughs> so it's like, it, it was kind of Assyrian English. I don't know how you'd call it. Like, yeah. hey, because it's not sat. 530 you know, okay. like, you know just kind of mix it together right. i was working and then i had my company was at, at the time Pink. they were paying for okay. the master's programs but mm-hmm. even then i i broke that contract so the thing is if you had your company pay for your master's degree you there's a stipulation that you need to stay on a year or two mm-hmm. so i was at ibm at the time i traveled with them to china and whatnot and but you're in the bay area this is where startups are at and so just kind of made the decision hey i need to focus on the long term and the direction that I want to go on as opposed to the tactical play of having them repay. Sargon's a startup guy. Okay. He likes small companies. He likes the grind. He loves nice. kind of that ownership side of things of, hey, it's going to grow. It has a potential to either go IPO or to get but, bought out. So right? I feel, yeah, and when you say ownership, I think what you're trying to say is extreme ownership. So, so What is the difference? I think one is if, you notice it like if you go to a gym or a coffee shop and like the the barista is this is an example like the barista is going out of their way to make sure that the the customers or guests are having a nice experience okay. they're making sure the place is clean even though that's not their job mm. so, so they're going above and beyond they're acting like they they own the thing and it will succeed and so with Assyrians it's like we have a lot working against us if you really think about it so mm-hmm. if you have if you have if you're able-bodied and you're healthy and you have a mind then god has blessed you there's no really no excuse not to uh, have an itch to to go out and be a, a positive member of society be it in the assyrian community or just a good citizen and make a good name for surai so uh yeah like paul saying i do have an itch and an inkling towards i gravitate towards kind of the the, the smaller companies where you can play a larger role and that's why we started a company too so let's actually, that's a perfect transition into what you all started. So when you two started to working together, it was with Base2 Apps? That's correct. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about how that idea came into fruition. Okay, so I think if we rewind a second, when we both lived in the Bay Area, we both knew our Assyrian could use some work. Mm-hmm. So we, we took a class mm-hmm. at the Marnase Melpana School. Mm-hmm. Our, our teacher was Ravi Mishael. Who's, who's also your relative. Who's also our uncle, that's uh-huh. right. And uh, so so we took Assyrian level one. It was us and a bunch of, what, 10-year-old uh, kids <laughs> who would... We, we kind of had to make sure no one bullied each other, like, you know, and then they, they'd gang up on us, but we, we were pretty firm with them, too. <laughs> and there we learned, hey, this content is amazing, but these kids are Angry Birds kids, right? They, they grew up in a culture where every 10 minutes they have a commercial or when they're waiting in line or when they're waiting at the restaurant, the parents give them the iPad and they're playing Angry Birds. And so the first thing that came to mind is, hey, maybe we can occupy that mind share and give them something entertaining that's Assyrian. Oh. And just not even not teach them anything, but just spark their interest, right? Be a Kindle to that, that just be a Kindle for them. And then if they have the interest, they can go learn the books, take the classes, which is the right way to learn, right? Be immersed. And so we, we started messing around with some apps and we realized, hey, we're good at this. Paul's got a good eye for design. I could handle the technical side of things. And then that kind of leveraged into bigger ideas. 
What incentivized you to want to come to Marnerse School and learn how to read and write? Because that's a Friday night. You two were young adults. You could have done anything else, but you decided to commit or dedicate your time every Friday to come to this class. Like, what was what drew you to it? We weren't. We weren't. Uh... Our parents didn't give us a trophy for every time we did something and you know when you you had to earn what you had mm-hmm. right and so so you weren't necessarily given a trophy for third place or second place the question you might have got one but then the question that your dad would say when you got home is what happened mm-hmm. right so there was a level of authenticity mm-hmm. that we grew up with mm-hmm. and so so when you're when you're out and about with friends and you're, you're trying to do cool stuff and hang out and whatnot and people ask you about who you are or if you know the language and then you have that twinge where you know what i'm not 100 percent confident what i am or if i can speak the language correctly for me at least there was a level of like hey i need to be authentic with who i am and there was a you almost so i, I was just embarrassed i mean why was that you don't know the alphabet of your language, but yet you're so proud of mm. saying you're Assyrian. And I think right? that goes back to... Did you feel less Assyrian because of that? Uh, I, think, I, think, I think that does go back to the authenticity because you're saying, you're saying you're Assyrian on the surface. Oh, yeah. I'm Assyrian. But then at the end of the day, you're, you're embarrassed. What does that mean? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah you're trying because to figure out what does that actually mean? How am I actually like doing anything that's actually Assyrian outside of mm. just being, mm. right? Because technically we're American. Mm-hmm right mm-hmm. so we needed to get connected back in with the culture somehow with the ethnicity right and the ethnicity is preserved through the language and the the, the church does a good job with it um and then there's also a, a, a social responsibility on your own end to do um and i remember listening to one of the earlier pod, po- uh, podcasts with manawa and i think a question was asked for him hey you know you know there's a lot of the younger generation that's drifting away from the church why is that and his message wasn't one of, oh, yeah, we need to try to go and get them back. And it's like, no, you have a responsibility on your own to want to go back and do that. So that to me is important, right? If you really want something, you know, you'll go out of your way to go and get it. Mm-hmm. And I always look at human incentives, right? What, what really drives people to do certain things? And so for us, you know, when you said pay it forward earlier, Paul, about hiring Assyrians and you recognize there was mutual benefit. Like you said, language isn't important to maintain an ethnicity. I would also say language is important to expand your mind, right? Language changes the way you think. It shapes the way you think. Different languages, like in Greece, Greek, they had different words for love, right? So there's different levels of thought that go in when you're learning the constructs of a language that have been passed down through generations. And so I'd say a selfish reason to learn the Assyrian language is it's going to make you cooler. It's going to make you smarter. And if anything, it's a story or some kind of tidbit of authenticity that you can contribute to your friends. So there is a, I think there's a selfish reason to learn it as well. Like you could be embarrassed, you could be shy about it, but in the learning any new language, be it JavaScript, HTML, or Assyrian, (laughs) it will make you, it'll make you a, it'll open your mind. Like, the German language is very structured, very structured language, and it's a complex language. Paul and I both learned German, okay? Like Long fluently? Story. The instructor <laughs> was cute at an all-guy school, so she was... I she mean, was, that was the, the day. I wouldn't say much. <laughs> so, so, but the, 
if you think about German, you think about like BMW or like you think German engineering, right? So when people say German engineering, I think part of that can be attributed to the way their language structure is in the same way that people say French are good diplomats. Mm. Well, there's, there's certain nuances in the French language that's very beautiful, right? It might, might sound effeminate, but the French are very good with words. They're very charismatic. They're, and so they make for good diplomats. I would say you see traces of that in Farsi and, and, to, and then even, you know, Iraq, uh, the harsh language and whatnot. So I what think... What do you think the Assyrian language speaks? Like, what do you think that portrays to people when it's spoken? I think we're a diaspora, so it sounds very different. Mm. And then we have a couple variations. Like, you know, when I went to... So one Eastern, of the, Western. The, 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 yeah, Ma'arboyo and uh, uh, Medincha. And so, you know, when I went to Torabdin and Mardin and Southern Turkey and, and Seyra Monastery, like, I had a newfound respect for the, the Western dialect, our brothers who speak uh, the Western dialect. And so that's why it was really important to us to incorporate that into the dictionary and to settlement says to have both an eastern and a western dialect and the english phonetic uh and the audio so so i think what does it sound like when i hear it uh when i hear it what do i hear (laughs) 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 words that are impossible for other people to pronounce your throat no this is the language jesus spoke it (laughs) i love i love it when friends text me in phonetic suit it uh-huh. on the on the phone they'll uh-huh. text me be be english uh-huh. but it's suited like they'll say dahi uh dahi yeah. and they'll they'll write it in english but i love those text conversations like there's just something about it. it's like oh okay cool our technology is adapting to Absolutely. to our speak so we would also you know after all that we we would go to hackathons hackathons are, are these events where companies sponsor these events where you create a service on top of whatever their their services right so an example give so an example. an example could be so immersion immersion creates haptic feedback so if you ever play the xbox and you mm-hmm. feel the vibration in the mm-hmm. controller that's owned by a company called immersion mm-hmm. so immersion has what they call an api um, an application programming interface where it allows software to talk to other software and we said hey they, they brought their software to the hackathon and said, hey, developers, create whatever you think you can create on top of this service. And so we'd go to a lot of these hackathons where these companies had, they wanted people to bring their ideas to the table and start implementing. And you implement everything in a 24-hour period. So they bring pizza and the most unhealthy food possible to these events, and you basically spend the night just working, hacking out an idea, and then you present it the next day. So you get a bunch of these developers, mostly guys, and they literally hack, hack, hack. The next morning they smell like crap. And then, <laughs> you know, they present the idea in front of a group. And then at the end of it, there's a voting or the judges decide who the winners are. We went to a few of these things. And um, one of the first types of contests that we entered in was a Verizon contest. So Verizon had this app store that they were launching called power your apps um vcast vcast yeah it was called the vcast app store what year are we talking here 2011 or 12 around there yeah and so they had uh, on their custom phones or on those phones they had the vcast app store and they wanted to generate developers to publish apps on the app store so one way to do it was to create this contest it was monetary so if you win the whole thing it was like fifty thousand bucks um so 
we came up with an idea called Color Connect. Color Connect, it was, at that time, it's actually pretty ingenious if you think about it. It was an emoji-based app. Oh, before so, emojis were emojis? Before emojis were a big thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. our thing was a penguin. So you basically take a penguin and the color of its belly represented how you were feeling or your, or your relationship, relationship status. status your relationship status the background color behind the penguin was your was, your was your mood okay so you know i'm single and i'm feeling happy like that was you know you could and you could post that to your social networks you could email text it to people email so it, people would have an idea based off of your color both yeah. front and back yeah. What you're feeling and what your status yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, at a lot of time, we had a lot of people download it thinking that it was like a um, dating app indicator. And the, the penguins had, like, you had different kinds of penguins. Like, one was a student penguin. The other was working out. Okay. The yeah. other was, like, a sleepy one. The other one was sick. And how did you even think about that? Who hates penguins? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, like penguins. If, you, if you say penguin, you're even smiling right now. So it's one of those things, like, we thought, hey, it would resonate with, with people. So we submitted this app to the App Store. We went through this whole contest, and much controversy later, we ended up winning uh, the People's Choice Award. And so we ended up winning, what was it, $25,000 from it? It was a lot of money. And so we used that money to fund the rest of the projects that we were working on. So we ended up bootstrapping projects by building on top of other money that we've been making. So... Then we ended up going to this hackathon uh, held by CTIA. Don't ask me what the acronym okay. means because I forgot. And we we entered as a team into multiple multiple prizes or, or kind of contests with the different vendors. Uh, one of the vendors was Immersion, uh, where you know we ended up creating this app called Vibe, um, and vibe lets you set custom vibrations for incoming calls and text messages Mm -hmm. so at that time i don't know if you remember the old like motorola razor phones and you know those flip phones where people customize the audible ringtones right so they try to you know record a ringtone and apply it to their to their phone but when the smartphones came around people didn't have their phones set on loud it was Mm -hmm. always on vibrate or silent so Whenever they get that little buzz, they don't know who's calling them or texting them. So we're like, hey, there's an opportunity where... To personalize it. To personalize it. So you'll feel who's calling. So if your husband calls you, you send them as a heartbeat vibration, you feel that that, 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 that mm-hmm. vibration. Whereas other people, you could set them as something else. You're like, oh, you know, I'm not going to answer them. Mm-hmm. Right? That was one app. It won a prize. It, part, it gave us a partnership with Immersion. Later on down the road... Which is up, huge, right? It was huge. It, it led to other things, though. And I'll, I'll kind of get into that in a little bit. But it gave us a partnership with Motorola, uh, which then opened the doors for us to travel the world and connect with Google. So at the end of the day, that app you know, ended up getting featured by Google on Google's App Store. So we were getting... It was like twenty or 30,000 downloads a day. And mind you, it was a free app, but it was freemium. So mm-hmm. you download it, you can pay for an upgrade. Mm-hmm. So it all started at a hackathon. There's other services like that that started at the hackathon too. You know, we had, and we had, we ended up winning some laptops from there too, which... Yeah, quite a few. Yeah, quite a few. Yeah. Um, the ones that were, like there was, if we're trying to tie this back to the Assyrian stuff, there was, there was one called TechCrunch Disrupt. So we had done a lot of hackathons. We were pretty successful there was one called uh, TechCrunch Disrupt, which was actually where like Dropbox and Mint.com started. Trello. I used to work for Mint.com. I used right? to work for Mint.com. So Trello, Yammer, all of them got bootstrapped and, and started at TechCrunch Disrupt, which is a conference, typically in SF, 
San Francisco and TechCrunch hosts it and you have all these startups that have a startup battlefield and they go pitch their idea. I think at that hackathon, we didn't have uh, a killer idea, but it was very important to us to pitch the Assyrian app just to get the word out. So we went to a hackathon, TechCrunch Disrupt, one of the biggest ones you can go to with the sole purpose of just spreading the the word about Assyrians. We knew... We have a picture of that. Thing yeah, we knew... like So we knew at that one, this thing isn't going to win, but it was more important, hey, well, let's use that platform to pitch a an app that we built, which is a platform. And what was your audience like there? How many people? It was, it was a worldwide audience. Yeah. I mean, it was live streamed, uh, but the audience there was maybe, what, like four or 500 people. I mean... I would it, say more. I mean, it was kind of that SF, like, barn auditorium. You know where they school. have, like, the fire set chats with, like, Mark Zuckerberg yeah. or... You know, it's, it's that auditorium, but they repurpose it for the hackathon um, demos. So when sometimes people are even too embarrassed to talk about being Assyrian and saying what Assyrians are, you guys are like, hey... Let's take this opportunity to then let this audience and whoever was watching on live stream to know about Assyrians and then to also introduce the app. Yeah, and the way we did it is we had some interesting features in there. We're like, well, maybe these are killer features. Let's talk about the features and the the undertone of this whole thing is that this app is the Assyrian app. I see. So, so to kind of draw that people would relate exactly. and draw in and then the exactly. underlying. Okay. Yeah. That was the Assyrian, the Assyrian app. app. Yeah, the Assyrian app. And what was featured on that? In term, well, that was the first time that platform was created. So it was like a, a mini social network for people within your own culture. So if you're a tribe or you're, um, I don't know, a, a culture, a, a micro community. That so would it be like a location as well? It had yeah. location yeah. and all that messaging, okay. location, um, language basics, events. The events, yeah. yeah, yeah. Then we ended up adding more to it. So mm-hmm. we, Sargon ended up adding like the messaging service, so the forums. Um, we ended up adding the service Qurbi to it. Uh, we even had a site for Assyrian recipes, uh, where we were trying to crowdsource recipes from the community. So, you know, we we were normally chased around with a wooden spoon rather than actually cooking with it. <laughs> Um, so we, we, we weren't the greatest of cooks, so we wanted to crowdsource them from the community and try to get people to, uh, put them on the site. Very cool. Yeah. And so base two apps wasn't anything that was particular to Assyrians or non-Assyrians. It was a mixture of both. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we had, we did contract work and creative work. Uh, the contract work, we actually built an app for the Stanislaus County Fair. We also built... What, what do they call it? Uh, Chambers, Chambers of Commerce. Chambers of Commerce. They, they need apps to yeah. kind of serve as a billboard. So the app is a billboard. So you guys were the go-to to do that. Yeah, so what we did is we, we repurposed the, the the platform that we built for the Assyrian app, which is a micro-community app, and made it kind of templatized and make it generic enough where someone could go in and configure everything, even the look and feel of the content. And... Um, it was super optimized for that. So that's how we paid our guys. That's how we generated money. Mm. That kind of contract work, I'd say that wasn't the most exciting thing in the world for us. Yeah. It's it's how we paid our guys and how we were able to then just kind of come up with our own creative as a result of that. Yeah. That was the idea, at least. Yeah. I know we went just into <laughs> yeah. Sargonsas, but I want to know before that, how did Sargonsas even start? Because I know that online, and I don't know if it came before or after, there's a, what is it, assyrianlanguages.org. 
But I know that's like a part of the yeah. database that's used for the circumstances. So what what did you see was missing um, and and what led you to want to create circumstances? Yeah, so again, it's a dictionary is, is built off of a community. So the community that existed before was a SyrianLanguages.org, which mm-hmm. is an amazing site. Mm-hmm. Okay, amazing site. It's a dictionary mm-hmm. maintained by this guy in France. Mm-hmm. And then there's... Uh, there's lishani.com, which is oh, yeah. which is also a, a nice site, and then there's a really good one for the Western dialect called svarnele.de. It's a German site. Okay. Also, How do you spell it? S F A R M E L E. Okay. Dot D E. Okay. So there's three sites out there. There's not one site that. All sites are awesome. Okay. What I sensed that was was needed was the most important thing that was needed besides having a mobile friendly interface where everyone's on it. Well, 70% of the, a little over 70% of the users are on their mobile devices. So it has to be mobile friendly. Mm. And then the, the, the most important thing is data quality. So when you search for something, do the results match your intent? We grew up in a world where Google knows what you're typing. So as you're typing, it's completing the sentence for you. Yeah. There's no reason why we shouldn't have something like that as well. So when when I used those other sites, I noticed there were certain things that were lacking. Like if you search for the color red, R-E-D, you want to find out the Assyrian word, right? Smuka. So you expect the first result to be smuka. But because some of the way those databases were built, when you search for the color red, smuka is the 40th result. Redwood trees. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fr- I'm well, like, what? Actually, you, you have to sift through so, all so that, So it's right? interesting that you say redwood trees. You expect to see related terms be redwood trees, red beets, you know, things with the color red. You don't expect the first result to, to be the, the English word of shredded because shredded contains the letters R-E-D, okay? So there's there's little things that you you can do when you're you're doing language constructs and heuristics to do pattern matching. So the key the key to a dictionary is you want to make sure that the first result matches the user's intent. Sometimes there are results where the user knows, hey, this is a questionable word, so it might be the second or third result. And an example of that would be um I'm trying to think of a word that has two meanings. Right. So, Assyrian or there. English? Right. So you could say there, but that's not that's more of a grammatical kind of punctuation thing. Uh the word would be And are you like, talking about how it's said or how it's spelt? Uh, um so uh I'll, heard and heard? I'll give an example, kind of. I'll give an example. An example is book, right? Mm-hmm. Book is we'd say ktaba or ktaba, mm-hmm. right? So the first result on Sagan says is ktaba, mm-hmm. okay? But book can also mean to book a room. Uh, right you're you're preserving something right so so a user is understanding if you present them with hey to book a chitara or tava is number one result and maybe number two is to book a room so they're they're understanding of that but the goal for someone says is that i wanted users to trust it and i wanted them to go to some place that was almost like urban dictionary they could search for curse words and find things in there. So if you look at the trending, there's some questionable words in there. <laughs> now, there's there's a couple that we filter out. But for the most part, they're... Um, Caesar generated. Yeah. And, and so... so the, People are always curious about those words anyways yeah. in any language. And the so. beautiful thing about Sargon says is it was... Imagine having like an army of crawlers who are scraping the internet for results. Okay. 
circumcised does that, but it does that for the eastern and western sites. And the 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 reason the rankings are so good is it actually compares the the eastern and western dialects from the different sites, as well as some kind of string matching and pattern matching to to determine your intent. Um, to have such a high quality site. And even when you do that, it's not enough, right? Because users are on their phone, they're gonna mistype things. Mm -hmm. So even though you have the right data and the right matching, people are gonna screw up and type the wrong thing. They're gonna do misspellings. So one way to counter that is you give them a drop down of, as they're typing, they see suggestions. the suggestions. And at least for the suggestions, we know those results exist. And then for the ones that don't exist, there's also related terms. So even if you mistype something, you'll see kind of like the Google, I'm feeling lucky, or did you mean this? And so there are related terms. So I think users like it when you kind of hold their hand um, and kind of walk them through a process. And so I think that's why someone says is actually so successful. Yeah. The nice thing I learned about the dictionary you created, the people who use it aren't just the Syrians. So it's, you know, if people are in relationships or kind of married to non-Assyrians, the non-Assyrians actually want to learn the language. So they actually are trying to find ways to learn on their own. This is an awesome service where they just type in hi or I love you or certain words or phrases and they're given the Eastern, Western and the phonetic pronunciation of these Wait, things. And, so, and the, yeah. You know how I know that? Because I was going on... I usually go on sargunsays.com on my phone. Nice. But I went online as I was doing my research here. And you have like the trending words. Yeah, exactly. So then I knew through that that this has to be then something that non-Assyrians use as well because there's words like I or uh, phrases I love you I hate you <laughs> what, whatever it is happy birthday merry christmas hello how are you all these things yes of course Assyrians want to know sure but more so non-Assyrians so it is an app I'm sure that is used for both right yeah what kind of traffic do you get, like numbers wise uh, per day it's it's a couple hundred users per day searching I keep trends on there of the number of searches and whatnot. What's interesting is the United States is the top country. So I could show you the analytics mm. if you'd like. The uh, United States is the top country. The second country is Australia. Mm. Okay, and I know there's uh, there's a school out there that, that uses it as a reference. Okay. Uh, the third country is Canada. So again, English-speaking countries. and then I know. I was a part of an Assyrian class there where they encouraged Sargon says. No way. Mm -hmm. So I love that's hearing crazy. stories that's like crazy. that. Yeah, that's crazy. I love hearing stories like that. Yeah. That's that drives a lot of this, and that's why the quality is extremely important to me. That it's of high quality, and then fourth and fifth kind of rounding it out are uh, Germany and UK. Mm -hmm. So even though United States is the number one country of the of the the app, the the number one city is not a U.S. city. The top two cities are actually Sydney and Melbourne, okay. Australia. So I've never met that. Aussie Assyrians, but I got much love for them. Uh. <laughs> okay, so those cities are rocking it. And then the third city is Chicago. Okay. Uh, Skokie's in there as well. So maybe because of the breakdown of sh Chicago and Skokie. Sure. Uh, San Jose's up there. But it's funny, when you look at the analytics, you can see where the Assyrian diasporas are situated just by looking at the analytics. That's pretty cool. So it's a way to see, uh, like you see Chicago, you see Phoenix. I think Sacramento's in 15. <laughs> so it's... You were talking about a concentration on um, quality and being able to pull uh, data from all of these different uh, websites and areas. So 
I think because of that, would you argue that like Seven Says is probably one of the more, if not the most popular search engine if you're looking to do English to Assyrian? So I'd say the the highest fidelity one. If yeah. you if you really are an expert and you want to find out true roots and and whatnot, then you should use AssyrianLanguages.org okay. for the Eastern dialect. Mm-hmm. For the Western dialect, you should use Svatamere.de. But if you want a dictionary that just works, mm-hmm. you're not a scholar, mm-hmm. you're not, you know, necessarily care about the etymology, even though Sergon says we'll show you. You just want something that's mobile friendly and the first result matches your uh, intent, then Sergon says is for that. So I think there's there's place for all of them. Here's right the there. use case. You're in the car, you're with your spouse, and you're debating about what the word is for bridge or star. It's an easy way to be able to just go in, type it. And get that feedback right away. So and it, it and it's it's anonymous. There's no user login or anything like that. But what I do is I do watch for the data quality to try to improve it. So some of the things that that we watch for to improve it is we realize people are mistyping things. So let's try to correct that. Mm-hmm. And then after search results, and then we notice more searches. So then now you're getting more searches, and then you see, wow, people aren't using it as a dictionary. It it evolved. There you were. They were using it as a dictionary. Now they're using it for phrases and translations. Some people said, they're typing, will you marry me? They're typing that in there and I'm realizing, man, I don't have that in there. Right? And so... This uh, is pressure, Sargon. I think, you gotta get that. <laughs> I, was, I was honored by it, right? So the dictionary has morphed into, so the phrases are heavily used mm-hmm. and then our uncle, Rabbi Michel, he has a book that uh, does Assyrian names. So when you get married in the church, they'll give you this book which has names and their meaning. Like Edessa, if you search for Edessa on Sargon Says, you'll see how it's spelled. You'll see the naming of Edessa. Um, so it's morphed into, you can search for names. And then now people are using it as a translator. So that's the next evolution of it. And it, also an Alexa skill, it'd be nice to ask Alexa and then have it be powered through Sargon Says. Ooh. I think that would be a nice... What would it take to do something like that? The biggest thing there isn't necessarily the technical aspect. The biggest thing there is I want... So Alexa can read the English phonetic. Mm-hmm. Like the phonetic of shlamaloch would be S-H-L-A-M-A. Yeah. But having Alexa repeat that wouldn't be the most correct thing. She might say shlama, mm-hmm. right? Now if she said shlomo, it's okay for our <laughs> Western friends. But so what we'd have to do is... and Oh, so there's a there's a group called uh, Bet Kanu, uh, mm-hmm. Akkad Sadi. He has a... a He's a hero, man. But I contracted them out to do a lot of the recordings. So Sargon says not only has um, the the English phonetic, the Western dialect, the Eastern dialect, but it also has recordings. So if someone is uh, or they're just trying to learn the language, they can hit play and it will play it for them. Now that was a challenge. So I contracted them out because I wanted to support other Assyrians, right? And so... The, they did a really good job on the, the Western. And then I also asked them, hey, for the, those Western terms like Shlomo, also send me a recording for the Eastern. But you notice there were little nuances in the way it was said. Like it might have been Shlama, like just mm. slightly different. So um, that was that was an awesome experience working with them and, and getting them to knowing that Sedon says is built by the community, really. Yeah. Right. And so every now and then Paul will message me, hey, this word is wrong, or hey, the site's down. A lot of people try to take down Assyrian sites. Oh, there's a lot man. Of, Our a lot Assyrian of, app site yeah. what? gets, yeah. I've yeah. had to build so much security around that site. The AssyrianApp.com, and it's, it's, 
IPs that are coming from Turkey. Yeah. Oh, they've they've taken us down. They haven't taken on Settle and Says, but they took down the Assyrian app a couple of times, and then we've had to put in certain security rules and whatnot to to counter that. So Paul always said, "Can you just hack them?" <laughs> but yeah, if I work at like That's tech companies and whatnot, the Assyrian app.com, it, people try to hack that all the time they'll try to log in as paul they try to log in as setagon admin whatever it is they try to hack that thing and so yeah it's just it's part of the it's part of being a syrian yeah, yeah i guess so huh Even i'm honored by it i'm like yeah try to take it down <laughs> there was a there was another thing google had a uh so you were talking about the trends real quick yeah so google had a commercial during the super bowl this year google translate translate yeah and they so i wrote this down google the top three translated terms are how are you Thank you, and I love you. And then if you go to Sergon Says and look at the trends, it's we added phrases later on, but they're they're pretty much the same. Hello, I love you. How are you? Mm. So I don't know if Google took it from Sergon Says. <laughs> it was cool that it was universal. That's amazing. So with Sergon Says and any of the other Assyrian related apps, you have a website right now that's called AssyrianApps.com. AssyrianApp.com. AssyrianApp.com. Yeah. And so that's sort of where they're housed. I know you were mentioning to me earlier that some of the apps that are on there, like Ishtar Ishtar Games, Games and um, Assyrian ABCs and stuff, they're not in the app store right now. Is there hopes for them to, to be back on? I think everything is a learning experience, right? So all those apps led to learning and to understanding of what works with people, what doesn't work with people. And so that What all, did you learn? Well, I mean, we learned a lot through the Assyrian app that people were interested in language and proverbs. Mm-hmm. So that's what part of that reason paved the way to start on creating sargonsays.com, right? Mm-hmm. And so the Assyrian ABCs was a reflection of all the schoolwork that we did and saying, hey, how do we educate the youth with the language? Um, how do we give them a fun experience? A fun experience, yeah, yeah a fun experience. Because if you go into some of these classes, these kids aren't really, you know, yeah, yeah. reading a black and white textbook doesn't really reflect And it's subliminal, too. Even yeah. the music in those apps is Zorna Dawuda, or there's like Chigga. Uh, like, yeah. it, it's all... That's pretty cool. There's a reason, a rhyme and a reason behind every these little thing. These little subtle things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think you talk with teachers where, like, you know, people learn based off of audible, visual, and interaction. Kinetic, right? touching. So, so with an app, it was easy to be able to kind of entertain that with the kid. So, yeah, I mean, that all those things built up to something bigger, mm-hmm. right? So even though we don't support those apps anymore, it built up to something larger. And it also evangelized, you know kids learning how to do or to want to develop and code or to get into product management or do any of that type of stuff on the on the tech side mm-hmm. right? to answer your question though yes i'm gonna bring those apps back to life ishtar games was my favorite one what was that about i could show it to you if you want to see okay. it it's it's three mini games in one one of them is we repurposed the penguin and you're you're a penguin with like a little car um do you want me to show it to you you're a penguin sure. with a assyrian laptop and what is an Assyrian Or an Assyrian laptop? license well, plate. You see how you have, he has stickers on his laptop? Yeah. There was an Assyrian Lamassu. Ah, so okay. this game, Ishtar Games, um, you can't download it, but I'm going to re reinvigorate this one. So there's an animals section. There's a colors section. Oh, okay. So in the colors, uh, we have a very famous um, voice narrator on this one. Okay, and then, so she's saying the, if it's too annoying, you can turn that off. And then, 
you can change the melody, right? You can even go to Zorna, and then you can change <laughs> to more Chiga uh, or whatnot. I think this was the only app of yours that I didn't end up downloading. And then the within this, there's a now. there's a mini game called Weeble. Okay, I'll let you try it out. So pick pick one of those characters. She's selecting a penguin. And she's using the accelerant, the, she's shifting her phone left and right to be able to jump and grab Assyrian coins. So what we... This is so fun. So you'll, she'll, you'll collect Assyrian flags. Oh, oh no, 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 I missed the flag. <laughs> <laughs> and so what we learned from this game was um, there were little experiences that we, we saw in, in terms of, uh, you know, Firaz Jatu came mm -hmm. up to me one day. And he said, Sarwan, you know, I have... Pretty <laughs> boy! Okay, yes. Firaz came up to me and said, Sarwan, uh, my kid is uh, two or three years old at the time. And he said, uh, at night, we'll just kind of hang out and we'll sit on his bed and look at the ceiling. And he'll just ask me random questions. And he goes, uh, my kid asked me and I need to ask you. He's like, he said, Daddy, you know, in that penguin game, does the... When you're jumping with the penguin, does he reach Mshicha? Does he see Jesus at the end of it? Yeah. And, I wasn't ready for all that. <laughs> yeah. And so, to me, that was like, wow, you just captured a, a kid's attention. Right? And our cousin, Adrena, she has a son named Isaiah. Every time he sees me, and it pains me right now. We're trying to port the game to work again on mm -hmm. the latest App Store updates. He asked me for the penguin game. Like, that is his favorite That's game. awesome. So, I think what we learned is that you can, even if you touch one person, then that's, I think you're, you know, he, that kid had an experience with his father, you know, where they were lying in bed and, and yeah, there's no money in these games. But Paul and I have been able to use those skills in our day job, right? So, we've been able to repurpose those things. But having an experience where, you know, a, a child is now having a moment with their with their parent or or even when our our cousin's son is like pulling out my leg can i play the penguin game and that's it's not angry birds it's mm -hmm. the assyrian game mm -hmm. like that's that's that's, that's, that's powerful a nice that's a nice feeling it's a nice feeling what else is on the assyrian app.com so you have some of these apps that you hope to uh, be able to have on the app store again um you have sargun says um talk to me a little bit about gurbi.com and what the hope was is for that is well, it still it, active it, it's i maintain it just to make sure that uh, out of respect for the businesses that are on there but Qurbi is like yelp for assyrians and that's all it is you go to it it looks just like yelp i think the coolest part of Qurbi that i'm most proud of is people have input um landmarks in there mm -hmm. so if you go to Qurbi and you look at sf you'll actually see the cathedral grace cathedral where there's a i remember I looked on that and the stairs, the right? Stairs, the yeah. stairs, the Ashurbani Paul Trophy um, statue. statue yeah. Trophy in my eyes. But uh, so, yeah, so I think having it continue from that regard would be good. Um, but so, yeah, it's, it's a Yelp for Assyrian landmarks and businesses. The concept there is more of, you know, when you go someplace new, you know, chances are if you found out that there was an Assyrian place, you'd want to support it. And so. Qurbi gave you that opportunity. If you're visiting Chicago or if you're visiting San Jose, where are the Assyrian places around me so I can support them? You know, it keeps that dollar within the community and supports that side of things. And so oh, as a diaspora, we don't have, you know, 
a central community. We don't have a car company. We don't have, you know, a cell phone making company. We don't have a lot of these things. A lot of what we have today are these restaurants, these like mom and pop owned businesses and some of these, you know, these monuments, right? And that's why you see people being really prideful when they go and find the, the steps in San Francisco and take a picture with it, right? It gives them that pride. And so with Odbi, it gives people an opportunity to discover the Syrian business around them. That way it keeps the dollar within the community. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, I think so often when people are visiting somewhere, I think it would be so cool for them to be like, yeah, I had no idea that there was this Assyrian-owned restaurant or whatever it is that is Assyrian-based. And so being able to go on that and to see that is... Yeah. And pretty that is, cool. Yeah. That, that's that's the beauty of technology and the beauty of having proven concepts already out there, right? Could you imagine a, an Assyrian Uber? Could you imagine? Uber. Yeah, Uber. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine like you know? I remember like a, a concept of an Assyrian Facebook was out there, but could you imagine these tech services where you can just piggyback off of all the trial and error that's already happened in the Silicon Valley? Yeah. Well, and even yeah, in in Qurbi, there was. When we created it, we put in a feature that uh, we knew, like, I know I could build the thing, but I'm not a, a sales guy, right? Mm-hmm. And so we needed an army of people kind of adding businesses to this. So at the time, we actually charged businesses if they want a premium listing. That's no longer the case. But what it had built into it is if you were a high school student or a college student and you wanted, you knew of businesses and you got them to onboard, you would get a commission out of that. Mm-hmm. So that was all built into it. And it was a very generous commission. I didn't care about making money off this thing. I now wanted... you're saying was, past tense, can people still do that? They can still do that. It would require a bit of onboarding. I like I said, this one's more passively maintained. Okay. Um, You'd say yeah. of the things that are on Assyrian app, the things that are more active is the sargonsays.com. Uh, says is definitely the most active. I'd say the second one is Arabi uh, Mishal. Uh, he wrote quite a few books. And two of them he's published as PDFs that people can download. Off. And what are those books so that listeners can... One of the books... So if you go to assyrianapp.com slash books, um, one of the books is called The Book of My Language. It's basically the language level one book that he's compiled over, I don't know, 25 years. This is his his language book. And it's, it's a great way to learn the language. I wouldn't say it's meant for someone who is trying to just speak the Ella beats. But uh, but it, it's an awesome awesome resource. The second one is is really cute. It's it's a it's a book for couples that just got married, and it it's a book of baby names in Assyrian, the English equivalent, and then the meaning the is the the meaning behind the name. Like I think uh, Arbel Arbella means four gods. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Erbil has actually four corners also. Like so, it's. There's there's nuances like that that are very uh, interesting to pick up on and yeah. What I find so cool about this is that I think so often with Assyrians, like we're we're constantly looking for that our resources to build whether it's our vocabulary or build up our knowledge. So whether it's like with Assyrian names, so being able to create these opportunities for people to be able to do that creates more access to these things. When people have more access to them, they probably are more likely to, to use them and to implement them, whether it be names, whether it be adding to their vocabulary or being incentivized or encouraged to learn their language because there is easier opportunities now than there once was yeah and i think that's a 
awesome point. I think you, you hit it right on the head. And then one other avenue for that is we wanted to give more avenues for people to, to find things. But a uh, very selfish reason for creating Sargon Says. Sargon Says was created in the winter of 2016. In the summer of 2016, so a couple months before that, ISIS invaded Iraq. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge wake-up call. And at the time, I felt a little powerless, right? So they've attacked our home country. They're destroying our physical artifacts. Why are they destroying his... They want to rewrite history, right? Assyrians didn't exist. Pagan Paganism did not exist. Um, and so, you know, we did the rally thing. We went to... Posted about it and whatnot, and that that was donated. And but after that, there's this kind of two week period where it kind of fizzes down a little bit until the next rally. Or and there was a lot of the whole like, "Woe is me, this is happening to my people." So Sadon says the reason I wanted to get it out rapidly is I wanted to preserve the language, right? And I wanted to send a message to 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 those who are against our language existing to say, hey, we're strong and I'm going to stand on the shoulders of Google, of Microsoft, Azure and Amazon. And you might be able to destroy some physical artifacts. You might be able to do that for a period of time, but you can't take down what these tech giants have done. And through whatever SEO and search, you know, search engine optimization and whatnot, I can create a platform that will outshine create a rose in, in the desert to help rebuild you know w- we come from a place and a culture where there were a lot of hardships but our parents always instilled in us you don't woe is me you pick up after yourself and you become a contributing member of society so it's not that we look forward to an obstacle it's just we see a challenge okay you could take it one of two ways how do you make positive out of that how do you make something good from there because I think growing up Assyrian, something that works against us is the, hey, I've been in genocide. Maybe the, the, the physical impact isn't there, but definitely there are, we see the impact it had on our parents. Yeah. They've been Control. rerouted. Yeah. We don't have a homeland, right? So, you know, we don't have a team in the Olympics, you know, to root for. So, so then you realize, okay, shoot, like people have a vested interest in taking down our language. That inspired some hate and some rage. Right. And then and so I'd say a lot of that actually fueled. So thank you. You know, I hate to say that, but thank you. know, You've just inspired a bunch of people. And um, there are long term effects, I think, if we're smart about it, like the Huidaya were, you know, after World War One, creating a homeland. Then I think it's been done before. The recipe is there. And I think we have to take things in stride and always kind of breathe through it. Now I'm going to say it. And then, you know, and then <laughs> what can you do? Be positive and, and create a solution, right? And if you can work with others, great. But if you got to steamroll your way through something, sometimes you have to do that too. Yeah. I think if, if there's one takeaway from this, you know, I'd like people to take away the fact that, like, you're empowered to do what you want and to actually go out there and do it. Use your talent. Right? Use your Use talent. It. Spread the talent. You know, there's no reason why someone being a Debbie Downer should stop you. Taking off the tech hat, going into what you all do outside of work, outside of this AssyrianApp.com space. You both participate in races and triathlons and do some crazy shit. So how did that all begin? And is it just you two or is it all the brothers that are into this? For me, I like to sweat out my stress okay right so i would 
you know, go running, get on a bike, go to a spin class, go work out, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I do all these trainings. I'd go swimming in the mornings, and then finally I realized, hey, why don't I just train for an event, right? The training for the event gave me motivation to actually do the training. Like the, the event the, itself. What was the was first like a, thing that you decided that you were going to enter in? Was it a race or was it? It a... was a, what they call a sprint triathlon. Okay. So it's a shorter distance triathlon where you swim. I think it's like half a mile. You bike twenty and then you run a five k. So three point one miles. So like, you know I'm going to do this. Um, and mind you, I'd never done much swimming outside of our backyard pool. Uh, so I just looked on a website. It was like this half Ironman training for newbies, and so I tried to follow it. Like perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I kind of I stuck with it, and you know I, I liked it. You know I got a bug, um, where I like the sweat, I like the creative thoughts that came out of these types of training, the journey of actually training. The the races themselves, to me, are fun. I'm not competing against anyone outside of myself, mm. but it's more of the journey of the training that excites me because I do get a lot of ideas out of it. I do clean out my body, I detox, um, I can think clearly. Right, because because our day to day is actually pretty hectic. It's kind of you know when you're managing teams, right? You have personal things, then you actually have work things that, to kind of accomplish. And so, clearing your mind out of that is important because mm-hmm. it keeps you fresh, it keeps you driven. And we've always were in you know sports growing up, so we always had this like athletic driven mindset where you know you won't let anything kind of block your way of getting to something. And so. Um, that mindset just kind of permeated into, for me, triathlons, for Sargon Spartan races. But what happens when you're super tired from a long day at work, you had crazy things hit you that you weren't even expecting, are you still motivated? Is that your motivation? Here's here's, here's the question I would ask. I would ask, and that's a tough one, because it can be tough, and you can be mentally and physically just exhausted, but I want you to tell me when the last time you regretted doing a workout for me it's always listen to your body Mm. you know if if your body needs to rest then just rest but don't make an excuse not to do it and then sargon what encouraged you to go into spartan races i think similar similar things to paul is uh so i I like to travel yeah and i i love hiking where's the last place you traveled but spartan race it's it, for those that don't know, it's it's an obstacle course mm. race. I do them competitively in the elite pro category. Wow. And so traveled all over the country for these things. It's Breckenridge, Colorado, um, Salt Lake City. Oh, West Virginia. Chicago. I w- slept in my car at West Virginia uh, to qualify for the... That was the national North American Championships to qualify for Worlds in Lake Tahoe. And how many people are you competing against just to kind it's, of put into perspective? So in the, the elite pro wave that goes off there's probably only like two to three hundred people in that wave but out of the whole day there's might be 20 to thirty thousand people there and so the the nice thing about Spartan, so even my laptop my work laptop is plastered with spartan and so why do i like spartan i think it it provides me with an avenue to meet like-minded people who when they see an obstacle they don't freak out right you could climb a wall and you're your GPS watch falls or your, your hands are so frozen that you can't throw a spear and you just, you, you, you can do two things in that moment. You can either freak out, be like, my hands are frozen. I'm going to fall off every obstacle. Or you can take a look out and be like, I'm at the top of a 8,000 foot mountain and I have two legs 
that work, like everything out of everything in the world that could be working against you, like, wow, I can actually run up this mountain with these legs and they don't hurt. And it's beautiful, you know? And so, um, perspective yeah Sorry, it's a little crazy well, well, so, so, you know, well if, so, i think what he's trying to say is like for my birthday <laughs> they say let's take you out to dinner and i say i got a better idea let's do something unconventional and so then the last two birthdays what we've had is uh all my brothers and cousins and friends that are kind enough to show up we host what's called spartagon so it's like okay, <laughs> so what we have is i have if you I come to, if you come to my garage you'll see i have tires i have uh sand uh sand weights i have uh, a spear throw like if we go in your garage right now we'll right see now all that stuff. you'll see all that stuff and okay. so what we do is uh every birthday of mine we've had two so far so next year will be the third annual is you have to register you get a you, you get, get a, a waiver so in case you die or something happens i'm not it's liable not, yeah. you get a wristband and then you pick a team member and then i give you guys the course and the course is around the neighborhood and they have to do a set of exercises paul's fiance and their cousin is they're actually the current reigning world champions wow. so this is called Go spartagon yeah nice. and so this this year will be the third annual and uh there's a there's a young woman from from Los Angeles who's also big into Spartan races, so we'll we'll see each other at every race, you know, in Sacramento, Los Angeles, Chicago, Utah, Breckenridge. Uh, there was one race I took my dad out to, which was in Utah. This, and he participated. Or he was like cheerleading. He participated even for him uh, being at Utah. That that city was extreme. It was near Park City, Utah, which is like nine thousand feet elevation. It's hard even just to walk, yeah. right? So he showed up, which was awesome for him to do. And then at that race, that was a qualifying race, I made fake Assyrian tattoos. So there's a website where you can make temporary tattoos, and I wanted to look pretty hardcore. So and then I'll, so I had my buddy put Assyrian on my back, so when people saw who they were behind, they were behind an Assyrian. Picture <laughs> or it didn't happen. Pictures, okay, perfect. I pictures. And I had some Assyrian like arm tattoos and whatnot. Because a lot of the pro athletes, they get sponsorships by, let's say, like Beat Elite or not Red Bull, but some of the other like uh, protein, Ascent Protein. And so they'll, man, I should get is paid for these sponsors. Is, ta- <laughs> is it tattoos or They're do they fake. wear it on their like clothing? They were, Well, when you're doing a Spartan race, it's for me at least and for a lot of the other elites, it's easiest just to wear shorts or the, the, the tights and nothing on top because you're going to get mud anyways. Are you participating in these in the wintertime? Yeah. Yeah, so there's one in, in Lake Tahoe. climate? So this, the most recent one was September 30th at Lake Tahoe, which was the World Championships. And they, after our heat, they had to shut down the, the water events because people were getting hypothermic and the medics couldn't intake enough people. And here's all I'll say to that. There's a guy named Wim Hof who's from Norway. He's a big proponent of exposing your body to discomforts and cold. Mm-hmm. For the, the purpose of strengthening his immunity. Okay, I know it sounds weird. Is that a real thing? It sounds weird. It, it's a, it involves cold showers. It involves like just like going outside in a t-shirt. Like micro discomforts. Now, why would you do that, right? Yeah. He's saying we live in a society where people are getting soft, right? We're on our cell phones. Before, human interaction involved motion. When you wanted to go see someone, like you had to actually go see someone. Mm. And there was an activity. There was a physical activity involved. Okay. Now you can FaceTime or whatever. He's saying humans were becoming soft with our heaters and our ACs and all that. And so he has an analogy. He says in the United States, the best athletes, the U.S. Olympians train. They train in Colorado. 
because of the high elevation, okay? So what he's trying to say there is the best athletes, the best runners, especially from Africa as well, are at high elevation. Now, at high elevation, there's discomfort in breathing, right? The air, because of the air pressure, the air is thinner, you don't get as much oxygen in your blood. So, but he's saying, we just took an example where there is a, uh, an environmental discomfort and that directly translates into a performance improvement. So he says, it's not that far of a stretch to then take another environmental discomfort or a variable such as temperature and make it slightly uncomfortable, maybe expose yourself a little bit to the cold, where if your first reaction is not a shudder, where, oh, the cold water is hitting you and you, you freeze up, your first reaction is like, deep breath, be like, yeah, my skin is cold to the touch, right? The skin, it's cold, right? It feels cold, but your internal core is extremely warm. And he says that wards off it's he's a little crazy but have you adopted that philosophy uh in a very minimal way i'm a kind of a cafeteria buffet like i pick and choose <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so so that's uh so yes the races are in the cold or they're in the heat or they're in the rain and you just kind of have to adapt you know and there's also the concept of a calloused mind what's that it's along right. the same lines yeah, along yeah. the same lines so there's a there's navy seals they go through some crazy workouts right and they just to exactly what Sarah was saying, they put them in these discomfort zones to be able to make it normal for them so that they can perform when they go through in combat or whatever. And so there's a few popular seals that come out and now they're doing these motivational things. Yeah. One of them, kind of the... Goggins? Know, yeah, I've listened David to is David Goggins. Yeah. Um, this guy is crazy. And his big thing is talking about a calloused mind. And so he says people's minds play games against them where they say oh i can't work out now because i'm tired or mm. oh it's too cold to work out or oh it's raining outside so i'm not going to go outside and he says you just had a huge business idea you you gotta create what's called like instead of the spartan mindset the assyrian like mindset and it's basically this like what the assyrian warriors their what their mindset was and, and yeah. then sell that as a diet as a pill as a whatever as it a is lifestyle. as a lifestyle step number one is go to settlementsays.com <laughs> yeah. so yeah i mean the, the callous mind basically does that yeah. i mean you, you basically make your mind just like the calluses on you know some people's hands when they do so many pull-ups where it just becomes you know hard right so it's, it's get that hard mentality um, but there has to be a sense of appreciation too because Okay, but I, I dude, think, you guys are like on another level. So what happens to somebody where who's like, I don't freaking work out. I don't okay. go well, to so, the gym. So here's what do you example. say to that person? Let me say this. So this, 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 this March, yes. my cousin Mariam and I are going to do a Spartan race. Yes. We're doing the sprint, which yes. is a kind of an intro thing. And so what do you say if you, you are talking to a, a young female who cares about her skin? You say, oh, Spartan, you're, you're floating around in mud. Why go to the spa where you get a mud bath? Do a Spartan race. No, but really, it's asked, like, even our, our oldest brother's uh, wife, she does Spartan races with her friends. So you, you take it at whatever intensity level you want to, right? So you can walk it, you can jog it. And so I don't say anything to other people. People have to want to do something. You can't get anyone to do anything. They have to, if they have an, If they have an itch, then you can provide them with an avenue or a door. But... I, it's not in my interest to like say hey you should do a spartan race and but my cousin said hey i want to do a spartan race and i said okay. uh, but the, regarding the callous mind i think they're having a callous mind is is it'll get you through something but it won't 
it won't keep you inspired to do like something greater. Right? Why? The cal- the callous mind is more of a motivational thing. When I hear it, yeah, there's nothing that that inspires me about having a callous mind. For what? Are you saving babies? Are you like, what are you having a callous <laughs> mind for? Right? It's it's a means to an end, which is great. I love it for that reason. And I think if that's deep rooted in some kind of inspirational uh, thing, then it's great. Like if you can pivot that and think, you know, I'm going to have a callous mind like the Assyrian warriors or, or, or forefathers. And, and, and I think that itself will, that's the Martin Luther King like mentality or the Mother Teresa, you know, where, where you're really doing the real influencing. For listeners that, you know, you're not seeing right now, but like Paul and uh, Sargon are very fit so do you guys ever have days where you're just like, I'm not into it. I'm going to cheat and eat whatever I want. You can't have a forbidden fruit. You mm. have to listen to your body. And mm-hmm. you, like Paul said, and if you have a forbidden fruit, you're going to cave in. Mm-hmm. And so Sargon used to eat cookie dough, raw cookie dough, and then go and run like five miles right afterwards. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite. So everyone has a... Did I give you the fuel? No, for, me, for me, it's bags of chips. Yeah. Nice. I'm a big fan of fried chicken. Okay. That's my, that's my... Th- so you all are into your, your health, um, but it also serves as a greater purpose. You, uh, Paul, you were saying that it allows for um, time to clear your mind and allows for creativity. And Sargon, if I, if I'm hearing you correctly, it it allows you to feel challenged in in different ways would you say that's true i'd say i'm already a challenged person to Uh, begin with (laughs) but it's it's really for as a tough a day i have if the day is extremely tough the only way to get over that mental hurdle is to physically go through some kind of experience and so that's that's the way i operate i mean even after the utah race my dad was there i had the assyrian tattoos that that spartan race I don't think I could have run any harder. And at the end of that race, I crossed the finish line and my eyes started tearing. I wasn't happy. I wasn't sad. It was just like a physical reaction that occurred. like my body it's had gone through trauma. Happen, yeah. And yeah. so, so a lot of is, I mean, we want to be able to take care of our parents, yeah. right? It means we have to be healthy. We want to have families. It means we have to be there for our families, right? And that doesn't just happen. You have to right and so you you have to be cognizant of those things and we have certain conditions that that you know have affected our dad and, and uncles and so we have to be mindful of the things we eat and and you only get one body you only get one set of parents you only get one body injuries make you think twice like when you hurt your shoulder wrestling you probably missed the workouts and yeah, and like yeah. you probably it made you itch to want to go back for more and so yeah. So, but even within these races, like you were saying, you created the temporary Assyrian tattoos. Paul, you were saying that you'd created the Assyrian logo. Like everything that you do, there is still that part of being Assyrian. I mean, so, like even my phone screen. That's is beautiful. An Assyrian. Who created that design? By Anuil. Anuil. Anuil Khashabin. Nice. So um, beautiful. He actually helped us out a lot with the Assyrian app with a lot of those designs. He works with me now. And so he's a big proponent of Assyrianism, Assyrianism, if that's yeah, Assyrianism. It. it is totally. Uh, Why is being Assyrian so important to the both of you? It's an identity, something you connect with. You know, I mean, for me, that's that's important. It gives me, you know, a purpose, um, and something to again. There's a fraternity, a part of it. You know, if I meet an Assyrian in Olympia, 
and they're willing to take me into their home, a perfect stranger, and treat me with such respect, that to me means something, you know? And so every time I meet an Assyrian, that's how I want to treat them. That's how I want to interact with them. It's an excited sense. And for us, you know, obviously part of it's where we grew up, where we weren't around Assyrians all the time. So when we did meet one that was like us, we got excited. Humans want to be two things. They want to be loved. We all want to be loved. That's we all want to be loved and we all like paul said we, we need a sense of belonging so we tend to stick to a tribe so there's some itch inside of us that kind of it like it magnetizes us back to some blood or some bloodline or some land you know maybe we feel uncomfortable here because we need deep down somewhere in our genes that we know this is maybe you know being in the united states is temporary like there's there's some calling in the back of your mind you know um, like when we travel, we spend a lot of money in other countries, right? We're, we're tourists of those countries and we're, we're patrons and we'd like, I think it would be amazing if there was a Vegas in Assyria, you mm. know, like where people went to our homeland and had fun. And I don't know if I'm probably not contributing anything to it, but I think by having a positive mindset and by doing what you can, then, uh, it's a step in the right direction. What's something that people don't know about you? I mean, I do teach some, these certain cycle oh, classes. Yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an instructor for this organization called Les Mills. Um, they do certain types of bike workouts. They're a New Zealand-based organization. He makes you sweat. I took his class. Yeah, people like, come by and they say, oh, your class was intense. Yeah. So he's like... You're like, good. Yeah, I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's the point. Otherwise, I don't want you there. I don't need someone like acting sure. like they're on their cell phone the yeah. whole time. So. Um, and then when you take his class, he goes through these visualizations. So it, it makes you like, like how, like so you think you know I'm just gonna show up, support my brother, be another body in a, on a bike seat, and so you're biking, and then he goes, now imagine you're in third place, or he's like, now imagine so, your do- someone is chasing your dog, or you know, there's the, and he just motivates yeah. you. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the reaction people have. That's and he's like, and have. while he's saying, now you're gonna go as hard as you can. He's like, but remember smile <laughs> so he takes you on this funky journey which is pretty cool i love it people yeah. are in for the ride well i think i think the smile thing came from i don't know if we had talked yeah. about it where if you smile it makes it less painful so it changes your mindset about it so again the calloused mind changing your mindset pushing yeah. through something that's difficult yeah if your so. brain is a cpu and it's constantly pulling through your body and it's looking for hey is there blood if there's blood then there must be a feeling of pain right so if it's looping through your body and your brain is saying oh i see you're smiling I'm when you smile by the way that you're thinking then here. you must be happy and so then you can force yourself to be we're actually happy. bots right now we're not actually how about you Sarban? um how do i no he's trying to avoid a conversation yeah so you i remember okay so the reason why i told you to bring your guitar here yes yes, is because i saw a video of you and david hedry playing the guitar together so i was like okay hello this was a random talent i didn't know i'm sure other people didn't know how long have you been playing guitar for yeah, so our, our father always played. Our father, our father always played music by uh, this guy named Farid Al Atrash, who played the oud. And it was uh, we didn't like listening to it growing up, but then as we got older, we realized, hey, this guy's got a talent. And some of his songs, he blatantly copies some Spanish music. 
Hmm. Okay. Uh, like there's a, a song from a city in Spain called Malaga. It's called Malagueña. So it's named after the city. And it sounds identical, one of his pieces from, from that song. And so I like a style of uh, Spanish music called flamenco. It has a Arab and like Jewish influence. And so the Andalusia part of Southern Spain. Mm-hmm. Been there, took a, a workshop. You know, it was like a tourist trap thing to do. But I went there for a week, took guitar classes. And then once a week, I take guitar classes here. The reason I was doing the thumping was there's a thing in uh, flamenco called pamas. And so that's that's the clapping rhythm that they do. So it's a it's a finger picking guitar on um, it's a nylon string. So the sound doesn't really project. You kind of have to listen for it. But it's mm-hmm. a very to me, it sounds somewhat Middle Eastern. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call myself good at it at all, but it's something I really enjoy. So, so what song are you going to play for us today? Yes. Are we going to play a song? Yes, please. I thought that would come back and bring it. Take a moment. Yeah. Take a moment. Do what you got to do. Okay, so I think I can try playing something, edit it out when I screw up. Well, you gotta introduce it. Yeah, what is the song that you're gonna play? Uh, this is, it's more of a style. I'll just play a little bit of a style. It's called Buleria. It's a, it's a, like a festive style of flamenco guitar. It's like a 12 count mm. that it emphasizes like the 3, 6, 8, and the 10 beats. Now imagine that you're sitting down at a table at a restaurant and you're eating some dolma. You're trying to enjoy it. Try to set the scene here for us, Paul. <laughs> and then some annoying guitarist starts playing wanky music. flamenco aficionado they'll say this is rumba is not flamenco mm. why would they say that uh some of the four major flamenco pieces are like so flamenco is, is really like a fusion of arab uh, jewish and spanish but they would say it because rumba follows like this four four time it's meant more for like dancing mm. it's not um like one of the like they say alegria bularia solaya and maybe like malagueña those which are named after cities in spain those are like the four core flamenco styles. What about Andalusian? So Andalusia is the, the southern Spanish oh, okay. region. Region. The region. Okay. region. So they have Cordoba, they have Malaga. So this is rumba. Um,
you ever get the chance to be able to perform, or is this sort of just a kept in within the home? And I uh, perform for myself quite a bit. I've done student like performances and stuff like that, but I don't. I wouldn't say I'm of the caliber where people would want to hear me at a restaurant. But we have like. I would disagree, but really, uh, yeah. Thank you. We have like recitals and stuff, so we'll do like group pieces or whatever, and it's. Keeps my mind off things. It's a challenge. It's tough. Do you, is there like a meetup group in the in the Bay Area where it's like, hey, anybody who enjoys playing flamenco style music? There is, and the the really good flamenco artists are probably the most emotional. So they're not necessarily the best teachers. Mm. I you know because it's it's like a very emotional uh, form of art, and so. But my instructor is quite good. He kind of goes back and forth between here and New York. Um, there is a flamenco society of the Bay Area, and uh, what else? I've traveled. That's for playing and for dancing. Or for, just playing for playing and for dancing. Oh, so, okay. so there's some dancers that we just kind of play backup for during their practices. Yeah, and so that's that's that. These were more of rhythm tracks that I played. There, there's a lot of like falsettos and melodies that are uh, beautiful, but they're kind of on the spot without warming up the fingers are kind of hard and uh to play and a little embarrassed to try those first shots so i said hey, let's try something slightly safe so uh, well that was beautiful i'm sure you. our listeners will enjoy that too last question for the both of you is our audience is our listeners from all over the world so let's say that you're standing right in front of them and they were all in one room together what is one thing that you would say to them i mean you're empowered to take control over your own experience um, so take control of it. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything that can be said above and beyond that. Um, if you're looking for a job and you're a product manager, <laughs> there's just, there's no secret. I think like growing up, you know, you try to find your identity and who you are and it's, it's some people shield or shy away from their identity or they think convention is just for partying and there's, and the social clubs are just meant for the same thing. But there's a reason those things exist and they serve a purpose. And the intent of convention was, you know, to start it after Semele and the genocide to get the think tanks together. And yeah, if, if they can encourage partying and people to have fun together and then make babies five years down the road, then perfect, you know. And so I think you can't change who you are, meaning you can't change the, the bloodline that you have. Right, in the same way that you can't change your parents and you're born with one body, so embrace it if you can. And uh, if you can't, sometimes life has an interesting way of kind of coming back around and maybe you could use your Assyrianism in a, I don't know what we're doing here with the, the phone, but maybe you can use your Assyrianism in some way that works to your advantage in an economical sense or from a personal incentive. And so if you can use it for that regards, then uh, use it for a selfish reason than for nothing else right you don't have to try to think you're doing social good use it to your advantage have it be uh, one of your investments have it be your leverage that's what i would say thanks for listening what do you think about that performance huh i told you you were in for a treat i hope this episode inspired you in some way to get up get out and kick butt at life Remember to continue spreading the word about us. See you at convention and see you next week for episode 77.